Well, good morning, Beulah family here and online. How are you doing? Okay, okay. Okay, how about this? How about those Oilers? Oh, yeah. Okay, hey, no, <laughs> without joke. Uh, it is so good to worship together, right? To come together and celebrate our new life in Christ. That's what we're doing when we come here together. We come and celebrate our new life in Christ together. But though that is really, really good and amazing, edifying, transforming, church is not just about that. And today, we're going to, to examine the why, the what, and the what for, or the so what, I should say, of the church. And let me just create a kind of a context for this. How many of you have noticed that we're living in a postmodern, post-Christian, and hopefully post-pandemic world that increasingly sees the church as a negative or, irre or irrelevant institution? Rather than the living, breathing, beautiful Bride of Christ, that she is, that you and I, that we are. Have you noticed how people see the church as irrelevant, more as an institution than the bride of Christ, living body of Christ? Let me say it in a different way. Have you also noticed that, that we live in a, in a world that is highly suspicious of the church and not necessarily because it looks different, but rather because at times, or from their perspective, the church seems to resemble more their corporate world and not what God intended his church to be. The salt and the light of the world. So this weekend... We're starting a, a four-part series called Dear Church. And in this series, we're going to open the Bible to examine the why, the what, and the so what of the church. But why? Well, because if we misunderstand, if we, the church, misunderstand the why, the what, and the so what of the church, this misunderstanding will naturally bleed into the way we behave and live as followers of Christ and the way we live and behave with one another inside and outside the church. So today, we're going to largely dwell on the why as we kick off the series. So what's the why of the church? Well, in the Gospel of Matthew, towards the end where Jesus is about to ascend, he talks to the disciples. He gives them the marching orders. And in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, we read, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to the, in heaven and in earth, to me in heaven and in, or, or, on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Mark also records a version of this 
commandment. And he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now, when people look at this, when we see this, a lot of people will, will argue that maybe the church has forgotten its mission to go, to share, to make disciples. And they will probably, from looking from the outside in, or even from within, argue that the church may have fallen into what they may call corporate Christianity. What will that look like, you may ask? Well, by giving attention to lesser things than to go to make disciples, to share God's love. How will that look like? Well, they will say by being so busy with scheduling than soul winning, so much so that seeing more people come to Christ becomes a secondary endeavor. Others may argue that uh, uh, we may lose focus of our mission by em emphasizing programming, raising money, buildings, etc., over people by not keeping that balance. And please hear me out. It is so wonderful to, to be in a building like this. We utilize buildings. We utilize programming. We utilize uh, uh, all kinds of things that are available to us so that we can do church. So that we, can, so that we can come and gather together, edify each other, glorify God, and be sent out. But that shouldn't be the main focus. There always should be a balance. But when that, when that balance is threatened or is perceived as, as such as an imbalance, people will say, well, maybe there's something wrong. Sometimes, and if you speak to many pastors as I have the opportunity, um, not only inside the, the Hispanic community, but also in um, all the communities and all the different cultures, many have seen that true growth is not necessarily happening, that there is more trading, trading of sheep than actual growth in the church, i.e. people who come to Christ every year and are added to the church. Again, what is the why? Why is it that we are gathered together, grow together, give together? It's to go together. Jesus said again in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. Because all authority has been given to me, go. And uh, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, church, remember, church, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as we go through this text, let me, let me answer three questions. Why Christians do not go? How do we overcome the obstacles to going? And number three, where should we go? Why is it that Christians do not go? 
And please, when I hear, when, when you hear me saying go, it doesn't necessarily mean physically moving to another city and God forbid Calgary. <laughs> now I know where my allegiance falls, okay? <laughs> okay, but, but, but I'm not saying moving physically to Calgary or to another, sorry, again, a city or <laughs> a province or another country or even another continent. I'm actually saying why is it that many Christians do not participate in sharing their faith with others? And there are different reasons. Let me tease out some. Number one, one of the reasons may be because it is easier at times to do pretty much anything else in church. And friends, please, when I say this, it doesn't mean that, I, that we don't take seriously and value the work of the volunteers from the people who are uh, uh, helping us in the parking lot, uh, greeting or uh, helping with our kids, with the youth and the different programming, the different things that are happening, the cameras, the lights, the sound, the uh, online, everything. It is happening because our volunteers want to serve and help and do something, give up their gifts, times, talents to God. But sometimes people use those things, not always, but sometimes, instead of saying, I will go, I will be obedient to the goal that God is intended for the church. So on the positive side, it could be that, well, I will serve on a committee, I will serve, you know, from Sunday to Sunday or during the week and from time to time so that I can avoid doing or going. Or people will say, well, you know what, I, that's not my thing. That, you know, sharing the faith, nah, that's not my thing. I'll give money. And that's okay. That, it, it, it's okay. And please, hear me out. We do need to help people share the gospel and do many things. Many of the things that happen, happen because of your generosity. But are not at the cost of avoiding our collective call, an individual call, to be obedient, to go. On the negative side, too, it's pretty much easier to just be an expectator in church. And sometimes just be part of the nitpicking and the grumble that, that you know, <laughs> my grandma, I grew up in church, and please hear me out. This is, this is from someone who loves church. I have had the privilege of serving with Pastor Keith, under Pastor Keith, and under Daniel. And I can tell you one thing. They love the church. And that's why I have gladly submitted to their leadership. I am a third-generation Christian, and I feel like a Timothy whose grandma and mom instilled this love for the church. So when I say these things, it's not because I'm criticizing. It's just that sometimes we use excuses and find other ways to avoid the main call, the why of the church. My grandma used to say this, and this is the, the English translation of my, my, my grandma's saying. She says, sometimes, minor, it's easier to be a part of a faction than to get into the action. And that was 60 years ago. I'm not that old, but she started saying that. Just in case, okay? No, I'm not that old. By the way, I'm going to be a grandpa, proud grandpa. You know another reason why we don't go? 
Thank you. Another reason why we don't go? We don't go because, we have, because sometimes we get the wrong priorities when we come to church. We think the church is a place where I just go. <laughs> church, you come into the building. The building is not the church. You are the church. And we are more of the church when we go out and become the salt and the light of the world. But when, we, when it becomes a place of socializing, a place where I can connect with other people, see other people, and don't get me wrong, that's, that's okay. We can meet a Mr. or future Mr. or Mrs. in church. Our kids can grow and, 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 and build healthy relationships and a love for God. And, and, and yes, it's a place where we can socialize, but that shouldn't be the main reason. I come to this building. I come here to celebrate the new life in Christ. I come to exalt and worship God, to be edified, and to be commissioned and sent out every Sunday. Some people see it as a place where I can self-improve. Friends, that doesn't happen in church. We don't do self-improvement. We do God-improvement. I don't need to self-improve. I need to become like Jesus. And when I come and I hear a message, I pray to God that I will look more like Jesus when I live, not a better version of me. And you see, those things may sound like good things, but good is the enemy of best. And God wants what is best for us. What is another reason why we don't go? Well, another reason is because there's apathy. And you will say, I don't sympathize with that. Well, there is. Sometimes we need to check our own heart and check how is it that we see what God is doing. And friends, the church should be the place where there is a real, real interest in winning souls and sharing God's love to other people. If there's a place that should love the world, it should be the church. Because Jesus came to die for the world. In a world that is spiritually asleep, we cannot afford to be asleep. We need to be awakened to, Jean, to Lord Jesus, to, Lord, to our King, Jesus. Another reason why people don't share, why people don't go, is because they fear. You, you, you may say in your mind, if I go, if I share, what, what, what should I say? What will people say? How will they react to me sharing my faith, to, to me telling the story about my life? You will say, I, I am not qualified. I don't feel that I'm prepared or even persuasive enough, knowledgeable enough. And though, friends, this may all seem valid obstacles, arguments, or excuses, the Bible does give us ample examples and answers to all of them. 
So question number two, how do we overcome all of these obstacles? How do we overcome all these obstacles? Well, number one, let's talk about priorities. The standard in church should never be a person in the church. The standard in church should always be Jesus. And what was Jesus' call? Why is it that he came to earth? Well, he says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the world. And then when he turns to his disciples later on, he says, and I, as I have been sent, now you are sent. To do what? To seek and save the world. That is the why. And that is what we are supposed to be doing. And so if the example is Jesus, we need to follow Jesus in what he did here on earth. Why? Because there is no worth, value, that we can assign to a soul. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world, yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? And friends, that last phrase, or what will anyone give in exchange for his life, has become so, so ingrained in my heart as of late. It has always been there, but from time to time, uh, it, you know, it just fades away as, as busyness and life happens. But in the last stretch of, of months, I have had the opportunity to, and the privilege to represent you, the church, visiting people in the ICU. And I have seen how desperate people feel when they know that death is imminent whether it's the family or those or friends or those who are there in the ICU. And I've seen a huge difference between those who know that they're going where they're going, that they're going to see Jesus, yet they fear. They just say, I'm not ready. I'm not, I don't feel like I want to go. My desire is not necessarily to go. And yet if I go, I know where I'm going. Different from those who, I don't know where I'm going. And I have seen the fear and the tears and the prayers of those who don't know because a relative or a friend doesn't know either. And at that time, at that moment, they will give anything. They will pay anything. They will pay. They will, you know, if they say, you, you know, go and do this, you know, walk this distance, and then they will do it. There's a desperation. But the reality is sometimes there's apathy. Sometimes we don't, we don't do enough. We don't care enough until it's too late. But what will a man give for a soul? Now, let me be more direct. Let me just, just come closer and say, what would you do? What would you give for your dad? 
for your mom, for your child's soul, for your best friends, for your spouse, for your neighbor? Is there a prize tag that we can attach to the value of a soul? Jesus says, I want you to fish for souls. He told the disciples, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Church, that's the business of the church, people. And we have the privilege to be a part of that. How do we overcome the apathy that sometimes creeps in in our lives? Well, by understanding that soul winning demands urgency. Urgency. There's a fellow in, our, in, in, in the um, Faro de Luz, which is the Spanish for lighthouse um, campus that I used to um, be the pastor of. And um, he, there's no Sunday that I don't see someone coming to the church with him. And I go, wow, you are, you have a gift. You truly have a gift. And he says, Pastor, I don't have a gift. I just have urgency. And I said, well, talk to me about this. And then he, he, he went on to tell me the story about his brother. He says, for we, my brother and I came to, to Canada many years ago. Uh, we both... Uh, in my case, I, he says, I came, I came single. He came um, without his wife and children. And that caused a lot of uh, anxiety and depression, and he fell into a deep, deep depression while he was here. Both of them felt sad because they left family in general, but it was more difficult for his brother. Now, this fellow that, attended, that attends our, um, uh, the Hispanic campus, he says that he started going to church. And while he was there, he accepted Christ, and he found a new family of believers who welcomed him, loved on him, and shared, and shared their love. And so he, he felt his, his, his hope renewed. And he invited his brother, but his brother would say, no, 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 and he will sink deeper and deeper and deeper and, and into depression. And then what happened is that uh, they went separate ways. And his brother fell even deeper into depression. But also, he was ill physically. One led to another thing. And he didn't want to get any treatment. But one day, he calls this fellow from uh, the Faro de Luz campus. And, uh, and he says, brother? He says, yes. Right now, I wish I could go to church. But I can't. Yet I've seen over this past year and a half how your hope, your peace, and your joy has changed you. I need that. And he says over the phone, I prayed with my brother. And I said to him, I will jump on a plane and I will see you tomorrow. And we'll go together to church. Even if I have to, to carry you, we will go together. But right now, open your heart to Jesus. 
And over the phone he did. Half an hour later. As he was making, you know, arrangements and preparing to fly and, and go and, and visit his brother, he received a, uh, this fellow received a phone call saying, your brother is dead. Thing got really complicated physically. I guess somehow he felt. So this fellow says, Pastor, I don't have a gift. I just sense the urgency. I don't know when the next conversation will happen, if ever it will happen with someone else. I don't know when I'm going to see again this person or that person. And I consider it a privilege to be in touch with someone else, whether it's a co-worker, whether it's a family member, whether it's a stranger. I don't know. Psalms 126, verse 6 says, Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy carrying his sheaves. What is this verse talking about? Later in the New Testament, Jesus speaks about the sower, the person who's planting seed, and the seed is the word of God. And it says the sower, the attitude, the disposition, the desire of the sower is to plant the seed. But he's weeping. He's weeping, hoping for a harvest. And unless we, the church, weep for those who are dying without Christ and without salvation, who will? There should be a desire in us. Because, friends, let me just be Let us remind us of this. I was one of them before. I was without Christ, without salvation. And someone cared enough to pray, to invite me, to share, to weep for me. And now by God's grace, but the obedience of someone who wept for my lost soul, I am here. And you are. We need to care enough to weep. Paul records this, talking about his own flesh and blood, talking about his family. Have you ever wondered, did Paul have a family? Well, this answers this. And how did he care for them? Like he was saving the world. But what happened to his family? Look at what he says in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. It's not on your screen, so listen to me. It says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters my own flesh and blood. Yes, friends, that's what is at stake also, our own flesh and blood. And someone needs to be praying and weeping for them. Those are the tears of the heart, seeing the lost as God sees them. 
What does that require? In this context from us, when there's apathy, obedience. Remember how I said sometimes we don't feel prepared, we don't feel like, well, you know, I don't know what I, what I will say. I, just be obedient. Just say, yes, Lord. You're asking me to go whichever way, and I will share more of that a little bit further. But, but, but having that disposition, disposition to say, yes, use me. Lead me. This is Samuel talking to King Saul, who had chosen uh, the wrong priorities. He had feared the people, and he, in doing that, became disobedient to God. He says, then Samuel said, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. How do we overcome fear? Well, Jesus says, I will be with you. And if God is with us, who against us? He knows the future. He's been ahead in our future. I can trust him. I also have a good record in my past of his mercy and his love. In Matthew 28, 20, he says, teaching them, as you teach them to observe everything, I have commanded you, remember this. I am with you always to the end of the age. Sometimes we just overthink. What will I say? What will I do? How will they react? Just be obedient. Just be willing. And God will show you. He promised he was going to give you the words and the courage he will open doors that no one can close. And he will close doors that no one can open. He promised to be with you. He promised to be with us as we become obedient. And sometimes, it's not that complicated. There are different ways in which you can overcome the fear and, and be willing to obey God. There's a... Um, there's a story in, in, in the New Testament where Jesus goes across um, the sea and, and uh, the lake, and as he lands in a land where no, no rabbi should be, no Jewish rabbi, rabbi should be, he encounters a man who's demon-possessed. And the reason no rabbi, um, Jewish rabbi, should be there is because that place is full of pigs. And when Jesus, Jesus lands there, this man who was enslaved by demon possession, who was cutting himself, hurting himself, no one could restrain him. And he was wandering around the, the, the uh, local cemetery, comes to Jesus, has an encounter with Jesus. He is set free by Jesus. And once he comes to his senses, and he's fully clothed, and he's willing to follow Jesus as Jesus decides to go back to his normal routine. He says, let me come with you. Let me follow you. Let me be one of the disciples. And Jesus says, no. Go back and tell them 
what great things God has done for you. That's all. No Bible verse. He didn't get to go to a service. He didn't get to spend too much time with the, with the Lord. All he could say is, yes, I was demon-possessed. I was a slave, but now I'm free. And people who had seen and witnessed the change could see that there was something different. Sometimes that's all it takes. This is my life before Christ. This is me now with Christ. There were times when Jesus healed people. And he sent them to the synagogue or to the temple. And he says, you know, present yourself. And when they did that, they were like, who did this? How did this happen? And they will not have an answer. They won't say, I don't know. I, I, this guy was there, you know. I think his name is Jesus. But no people will not deny what had happened. And many people believed. Sometimes it's just an invitation. It could be just an invitation. Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. Again, someone that he wouldn't normally have business with. And after the encounter, this woman goes back into the city and tells everyone, hey, listen, I think you need to come and meet this rabbi, this prophet, because he told me everything about my life. And people will come out. In, Matthew, sorry, in John chapter 4, verses 39 to 42, I will read for you. It says, now many Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus, because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stay, stayed there two days. Listen to this. Many more believed because of what he said, and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard ourselves and know that this is really the Savior of the world. Some people may have believed her, but then she says, come and meet him. And friends, that's what we're doing when we invite other people. We can invite them to Alpha. We can invite them to, invite them to our diverse group experiences. We can share a meal. We can invite for coffee. We can invite to a service. There are many things. You can say, I, I don't have the answers. I don't know all the verses. I don't, I, I, you know, you've seen my life. You, fine, but come and meet Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do the work. We are not the ones who convince or transform. It's the Holy Spirit. But we're called to invite. We're called to share. We're called to give people the opportunity. So where shall we go? Where shall we go? Well, there are no limits. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So from the beginning, Jesus envisioned a church that will go. And friends, as we gather together, as we the church gathers in this building. 
and we glorify God and are edified, we need to be reminded that we are sent out to be the church to the world. To be salt and light to the world. We don't gather for the sake of just gathering. We're gathering to be empowered and edified and equipped to go and be the church. We celebrate here our new life in Christ so we can invite others to come and join us. That, that's why it's so important to gather together. And please hear me out for those who are connected online. Yes, there are legitimate reasons why we don't, we don't gather together. Sometimes we, you, you can't. I get it. Believe me, I do. But if it's just for, for the sake of comfort or convenience, you're missing out on something very unique. Because when the church gathers together and worships together and exalts God together, something special happens. Something unique happens. An expression of God's love happens in the community of believers. So I encourage you to, to come and to be equipped and to worship God and honor God and exalt God. But to ask yourself, how can I be obedient to God's commandment to go? I am convinced, convinced of this. When a church begins to go, the church begins to grow. When the church begins to go, the church begins to grow. So let me conclude. And as we think about this, let us ask, God, how do you want me to respond to the why of the church? How do I overcome the wrong priorities, the fear? The avoidance of being part of your kingdom and your church here on earth? How is it that I can overcome the apathy that sometimes settles in? We need to, be, to, to go back to the basics of Christian message. As a church, we need to make a priority of our calling to be witnesses to the world. What will happen when we start going, church? I believe this. We will find that evangelism is a great adventure. You may invite a person or two or three, and one of them will come here, and you will see God perform a miracle and transform a life. And that will produce faith that will overcome our fears. The fear will be replaced with faith as you see God powerfully moving in your life through an invitation to a prayer. We will experience the joy of being obedient and serving God. 
And winning souls will bring present rejoicing and future joy. How do I know this? Did you know that when you came to Christ, there was a party in heaven? Jesus described it this way. He says in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. I was blind, now I see. I was lost, I've been found. By God's grace, in a church and people who wept for my soul. Would you respond and say, God, use me. I just want to be obedient. It may take the form of, uh, of inviting, sharing your testimony, learning how to, to effectively share your faith um, by being available, by maybe being nice and kind to someone else. You never know what God will use by prayerfully investing time and tears for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It takes many forms. But the first is a posture of obedience. This is the why of the church. So in a postmodern, post-Christian, in post-pandemic, what is the why of this church? We, all of us, are a church on a mission. And Jesus sends us on his mission everywhere, whether local or international. And this mission has different, different expressions like social justice, the needs of the poor and the vulnerable, neighboring, and intentionally welcoming people into Jesus' family. And all of us, you and me, are invited to play an active role in helping people to find their way to Jesus. That's the why of the church. That's why we got so we can be sent out and fulfill his command.